and especially our guests, we welcome you to this part of our worship, and, and we love having you. Well, recently, after uh, numerous requests from you as a congregation for some messages on the family, James has began a series on the family. And in fact, last Sunday, he challenged us to allow God to determine the size of our families. And I felt it only fair to share with you a test I recently came across uh, to see if you're really ready for children. And I might add these tests are not inspired. <laughs> One is called the endurance test. It says, wake up, walk around the living room from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. carrying a wet bag, approximately 6 to 8 pounds. At 10 p.m., put the bag down and set the alarm for midnight and go to sleep. Get up at 11 p.m. and and walk the bag around the living room until 1 a.m. Set the alarm for 3 a.m. As you can't get back to sleep, get up at 2 a.m. and make a cup of tea. Go to bed at 2.45 and get up at 3 a.m. when the alarm goes off. Sing songs in the dark until 4 a.m. Put the alarm for 5 a.m. Get up when it goes off. Make breakfast. Keep it up for five years and look cheerful. The dressing test. Buy a live octopus and a string bag. <laughs> Attempt to put the octopus in the string bag so that no arms are hanging out, and the time allowed is five minutes. The conversation test. Repeat everything at least everything you say at least five times. The feeding test. Hollow out a melon, make a small hole in the side, suspend the melon from the ceiling, swing it side to side. Now get a bowl of soggy cornflakes and attempt to spoon it into swaying melon while pretending to be an airplane. <laughs> Continue until half the cornflakes are gone and tip the rest in your lap, making sure it falls on the floor. Oh... Here's how you men can prepare for children. Go to the local pharmacy and tip the contents of your wall wallet onto the counter and tell the pharmacist to help himself. <laughs> Go to the local supermarket and arrange for a direct deposit. Go home, pick up a newspaper, and read it for the last time. And here's for the gals. Put on a dressing gown, stick a bean bag down the front, leave it there, and after nine months, remove ten beans. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. Here's your last test. Find a couple who, is already, who are already parents, berate them for their methods of discipline, lack of patience, appalling low tolerance levels, and how they have allowed their children to run wild. Suggest ways in which they might improve their children's sleeping habits, toilet training, table manners, and overall behavior. Enjoy it. It will be the last time in your life that you will have all the answers. You are now ready to have children. 
Well, it's in that context this morning, I want to share some positive reminders for all of you with older children. And uh, I certainly don't have all the answers. I don't stand up here this morning uh, pretending in any way that, uh, that uh, I have got it all uh, wrapped up in, in a neat package to give to you. My text this morning is found in Ephesians uh, 4, 25 through 32. And uh, we're just going to, uh, why don't you stand as we, for the reading of God's scriptures. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor and work with his hands the thing which is good, that he may ha have to give to them that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that they may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this morning the blessings that are so freely bestowed from your hand. And one of these blessings surely are our parents. And thank you, Father, this morning for their warmth and their love and their hand upon our shoulder, their reproofs and their warnings that have helped guide our footsteps. And thank you, Father, also for teachers, those who have stood tall in our eyes from whose hands and lips and lives we have learned valuable lessons and who have helped shape our lives. Things such as integrity, honesty, and character, and how they have encouraged us to be mature and responsible as adults. Thank you for their footsteps and their disciplined lives and their diligence with the word of God, how it makes us thirst for more. And Father, we thank you this morning for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in him we find the answer for sin. When we fall and we are plagued by sin and we're ashamed, we run to him. Not only does he forgive us, but he promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning we acknowledge our dependence upon him. Father, give us hearts to hear that, you might hear, that we might hear the word and live it. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's children said, you may be seated. Well, this morning as we think about some family relationships, I want to give you some foundational truths to kind of as a base for this. The first foundational truth I want to give to you, there's no such thing as an impossible situation. Because our God has never met anything that is impossible. And I know that kind of sounds like a cliche. Uh, for those of you in, who have some tough family relationships, but really our God is in the business of working miracles. And uh, it might not feel like it for you this morning, but th that is the reality. There is no such thing as impossible with our God. Secondly, 
Children never have authority over their parents. We should always honor and respect our parents. That's because they are our mom and dad, not because they're perfect. Parents sometimes have the ability to make some poor choices and, and uh, make some terrible mistakes. The reason we honor our parents is because they are our parents. Uh, and, when I, and it might mean you forgiving your parents. Um, please understand, when I say forgive your parents, I am not condoning the poor choices sometimes that parents make. As parents, we all need the forgiveness of many things. I, I've made a lot of mistakes in life, and so I need forgiveness. And so uh, as you consider your parents, and if they've made some mistakes, consider forgiving your parents. There's a third thing, uh, a third truth I want to put in front of you. And that all lives, our lives affect all the others in the family. There's, there's nothing, there's no such thing as being independent from the family. Uh, what you do in a family affects everyone else in the family. Um, it's in the families where we learn how to work together, we learn how to play together, and we learn to be a unit. We learn to do things as, as one. So... No one is independent when it comes to a family. There's the fourth truth I want to sh uh, put in front of you. No issues should be settled in a carnal way. Uh, grudges, knee-jerk reactions, uh, unforgiveness, verbal assaults, those things have never brought any family together. It only breeds further disharmony in the family. So if you uh, have, are on the persuasion of giving someone in your family the piece of, a piece of your mind, save it. Because uh, it never brings families together. There's the fourth or the fifth thing I want to put in front of you, and that none of us were raised perfect. Uh, so uh, be careful how judgmental you are of other people. Uh, uh, just because you have been raised and your parents did something a certain way doesn't mean it's always the best way. Um, and I think, and, and, and the th with that, I want to just, just be careful about some of the traditions because we've all lived long enough to understand that some traditions are misguided. So, um, so the best question for us to ask this morning in the context of families, what does the Bible say? This morning I want to set in front of you a passage found in Ephesians, and this passage in its original context is for the church. I am pulling a little bit out of context because the principles would apply to a family. But, uh, and I understand that it originally it was, it, was, it was Paul wrote it for the church. I want to put in front of you six two-word principles that will help you, especially those of you that are older and have older children, to remember in relating to those older children. Now, it would also be a great moment for me to add, if, if you're experiencing fractured relationships in your family, this works irregardless where you're at in the relationships in your family. If you have good relationships, it helps. 
And if you have fractured relationships, if you have relationships that are stressed, these are some good principles. They'll work as long as you're teachable and as long as you're willing to try them. They'll work. But if you're someone who is persuaded on going on your own way, holding grudges and holding unforgiveness, uh, you're not going to experience the blessings of this. You're only going to experience further disharmony. The first principle uh, is found in verse 25, and it's speak truth. It says in verse 25, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In this case, speak every man truth with his family. Uh, your son or your daughter deserves to hear the truth. Be upfront with your children. Uh, be tactful and, and pick the right moment. How you say it and when you say it is just as important as what you say. So there's, there's a need for you to be tactful. Um, and it may well be that the, the, whoever you're conversing with doesn't want to hear the truth. Uh, we all, uh, the thing about it is we all need to remember occasions when we were wrong and mom and dad told us what we needed to hear. There are times we all need to be reproved. Don't lie to your children. Don't tell them something's okay when it isn't, when, it isn't, when it's clearly wrong. Uh, when, you're do, when your children are doing something that's spiritually wrong, you should tell them. By the way, don't just dump it on your children. It's best, especially in dealing with older children, to do when they ask you. Or at least ask their permission to speak in your lives. I just tell them, I'd like to really speak into this area. And uh, children will often take it off of you. Um, there's another way that we lie to our children. That is when we're silent, we should speak up. We lie to our children. Uh, for instance, when your son or daughter is thinking of making a, a very poor financial decision and you just don't say anything, you should be speaking up. Or when they're thinking of uh, becoming involved with someone, someone who is, wouldn't make a good marriage partner, someone who isn't, isn't grounded in Scripture or isn't even a Christian, as a, fam as a, as a mom and dad, you should be speaking up. It, it's essential that as parents that think about how many divorces could have been avoided if parents would just speak up and get involved in their children's lives. The second principle I want to put in front of you is, in, is, is found in verse 26. It says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. The principle is not be angry. The principle is be passionate. Be passionate about your children's lives. God is not encouraging any of us to throw a temper tantrum or give, you know, assault someone verbally. He's asking us to be passionate about what is right for our children. Tell your children, if, tell your children what's right. Um, You know, it might mean sitting down and just saying, you know, I care enough about you that I cannot be silent about this. 
Your children need to hear that, irregardless of the age. Uh, wrong is always wrong. It doesn't matter how old your children are. Right is always right. Now, I've heard uh, comments like, uh, it, well, it's her life, or it's his life. Uh, she's 16 now, or he's 16 now, or he's 21, or he's of age. It's his life. That's not what God is saying. Get involved in your children's lives. Wrong is wrong, and right is right. Say what you mean. Mean what you say, but don't say it mean. You see, if you're a parent who just kind of shrugs his shoulders and something that is clearly wrong, you are the problem. Because in those moments when you have an opportunity to speak into your children's lives, you have the opportunity to give your children some moral fiber and give them a moral compass. And when you are silent, you are a part of the problem. Uh, years ago, I had two friends, uh, two guys, and um, their mom was clearly the head of the home. And um, she ran the home kind of like a drill sergeant, uh, seriously. The dad was just the opposite. Uh, the boys would tell me some things. When it came time for correction, dad would disappear, especially if he wasn't agreed. He would simply disappear. He would go out in the barn or the shop. He would just disappear. The result was a divided family and boys who respected neither mom or dad. Today, both of those boys are divorced, both of my friends. Passivity is not your friend. Being passive as a parent, passivity is your enemy. Um, Again, what I'm talking about here this morning is not an out-of-control temper. I'm talking about somebody who's, you as parents should be passionate about your children and the choices that they're making in life. There ought to be a passion in your life. There's a third in verse 28. It says in verse 27, Neither give place to the devil. Let him that, steal, that stole steal no more, but let but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may be able to give to them that needeth. The third principle I want to give to you is stop stealing. And some of you might be thinking it's inappropriate to tell parents to stop stealing from their children. But I assure you that it isn't. How can we as parents steal from our children? Well, one way we can do is we can steal our children's freedom. We can be so controlling that our children never learn to make judgments on their own. Wise decisions. We never allow our children the freedom to make some of those, uh, those calls. 
um, we should be encouraging our children to do what they can do for themselves. We shouldn't be doing, we steal from them when we do what they ought to be doing for themselves. Mark Gregston is an individual who has counseled thousands of troubled teens. And if you actually go online, you'll see that he has a, he's the director of a ministry called Heartlight Ministries. And he's actually came up with eight essentials of a good parent, as well as the five qualities of a good rule. And it's, these things are really good. He sounds like an individual who's, who really has some wisdom when it comes to dealing with teenagers. But anyway, he wrote a book that is called Tough Guys and Drama Queens. And I want you to hear what he writes. He says, he says, one day your precious daughter will walk out of your door and your life will never be the same. As she is no longer under your rule. Or it may be, may be a son who leaves home to head to college, the military, or a new job. You know his boyhood days are over. And at that moment, it won't matter if his room is clean, the condition of her bathroom, or whether he came in by curfew, what music he or she is listening to now. It won't matter if they've watched too much television or played too many t video games or made some mistakes along the way, or whether he or she didn't study as much as they should have. What will matter is whether your child is still dependent upon you to make it in life. Whether your relationship with, your, with her has helped her develop the skills she needs to stand firm against what she will encounter in the next chapter of her life. You know, how important is, it is that we begin helping our children along the way to independence. Making good decisions, wise decisions. Um, Mark continues, he writes, he gives you some examples of how to do this. Here are some things that you can require of your children at 13. Getting themselves out of bed with an alarm clock. Picking up their own clothes every morning. Getting ready for school and eating breakfast. Getting to school on time. Doing their own laundry. That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? <laughs> Cleaning their own rooms. Doing their own homework without ha you having to nag them to do it. Making their own snacks after school. How are you parents doing? You see, if they don't learn those things in your home... How's their home going to look? Mark continues, as children get older, I would encourage you to give your children more things to do, more decisions to make, more opportunities they have to figure out what to do, and more opportunities where they have to assume responsibility for their own lives. Here are some more focused training points you might want to consider. Handling finances, making good decisions, breaking the mindset of entitlement, keeping relationship where there is conflict, handling stress and resolving disagreements, not always having to be right. 
What to do when you are wrong. Treating a friend with kindness. Finding the right spouse. The value of a good day's work. Standing for what you believe. The essentials of a disciplined life. Integrity and keeping your word. Finding the job that fits your skill set. Making money and living within your means. Changing a car tire. Or how to ask for help. You see, when we don't prepare our children for life, we steal from our children. Um, another way that we steal from our children is not allowing them to suffer the consequences of their own choices. If your teenager gets a speeding ticket, you let them pay for it. You steal from them when you don't allow them to experience the consequences of poor choices. Um, some time ago, I got a call from a dad who, whose, whose son, his life was spiraling out of control, and because of it, he got arrested. And uh, that father had plenty of money. He said, I wanted to bail him out. But he called some older men and they all advised him against it. And as he was talking to Muya on the phone, he was weeping because he longed to go bail his son out. But he said, I know the best decision for my son is to stop and sit and consider the direction of his life. Broke his heart to make his son do that. But that was wisdom. He allowed his son to experience the consequences of his choices. I think all of us know the, val the, the lessons that we have learned in life are often those lessons that come from the school of hard knocks. Some of those lessons that we learned are lessons that stick with us the rest of our lives because those are lessons where we learned how to stand on our own, stand on our own feet. So don't steal from your, don't steal from your children. Allow them to learn from life. There's a fourth principle. It's found in verse 29. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that they may minister grace unto the hearers. The fourth principle is this. Stop yelling. Uh, anytime you have to yell at your children, you have lost control. You've lost control, and you've also lost your children's respect. Uh, shouting has never brought families together. It only promotes disharmony. Unwholesome words include cursing, threatenings, sarcastic put-downs, and caustic remarks. You know, ultimately, if you have to yell at your children, you've lost the respect, and most, many of those children will ultimately rebel against you. Um, the word corrupt is the Greek word sapros, and it means rotting. Often when you're yelling, you're throwing garbage at your kids. There's a simple uh, 
a little nursery rhyme that we've, we've all heard. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's a lie. Uh, I know of an individual, a man, who grew up, and his dad often in moments of heated moments would tell him, you'll never amount to anything. And there's many things in that man's life he has lived up to it. Uh, Stop yelling. Be careful not to throw garbage at your kids, especially the older ones. Um, The fifth principle is in verse 29 as well, is give grace. That principle will help you uh, balance those moments that you have to give to your children some really tough talk, the truth. It's when you give them grace. Kind of helps you balance out. It says uh, the latter part of the, the verse that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, children, all children are going to make mistakes and occasionally some poor choices. And one of the best responses that you can do as a parent in those times that they make some poor choices is to sit down and tell them, you know, when I was your age, I, I, made, one, I made one of those poor choices as well. Put your arms around them and, and share your heart with them. Um, don't shame your children. Um, you know, when your children come home with marriage problems, the last thing they need you to do is take sides or to tell them, well, I, I, I knew you shouldn't have married him or I knew you shouldn't have married her. Don't take sides. Uh, Some time ago, uh, my daughter came home and, and she, was, she was emotional about some differences. And... Uh, I sat down and I I listened, and then I shared with her some things about marriage. And I knew I had her heart because her response was, thanks, Dad, I I need to go back and apologize. Give your children some grace. Don't shame your children. Um... When your uh, children make a, a poor financial decision, uh, like buying something they can't afford, give them some grace. I mean, let's, 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 uh, let's just face it, uh, none of us were ever upside down, right? We're all taking this financial peace university because we love the humor, right? Choosing the wrong friends. I know I had some. Sometimes you need to give your children some grace. Um, One of the eight qualities Mark Gregson gives of a good parent, one of those qualities is just a good listening ear. I like the way the old southern boy put it, never miss an opportunity to just shut up. A wise parent knows when to be quiet. It's not always, again, there's balance in that. There's times you need to step up and you need to give your children what they need to hear. The last principle is found in verse 32. 
and it is be forgiving. It says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I chose the word, I chose forgiveness because forgiveness encapsulates all three of these verses. I mean, the person who is forgiving is not grieving God. And the person, he's, he's not holding grudges. And there's a tenderness when you're wronged. I mean, how much do we need to be parents who are forgiving in our relationship with our older children? Forgiving, have a tender heart. Um, parents who know how to tell your children, you know I forgive you, you know, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. Uh, you know, in those moments uh, of, of where you need to forgive, remember that moment that you, st you came in front of an old wooden Roman cross where you were the one that owed the million dollars and the blood of Jesus was applied to you. You need to remember that moment so you can forgive the $10 debts of your children. <clears throat> forgive the way that you have been forgiven. Charles Carroll writes a story. He actually did some stories on rural America, some of the back roads of America. And uh, he did a story on a family of nine in Prairie, Mississippi. And it's a story worth all of you hearing. It's a good story. And it's a true story, as I might add. He writes, A long road took nine children out of the cotton fields, out of poverty, out of Mississippi. But roads go both ways. This Thanksgiving, they all returned. This is about Thanksgiving and coming home. And one after another, from every corner of America, the cars turned into the yard. With much cheering and much hugging, the nine children of Alex and Mary Chandler were coming home for their parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Gloria Chandler, uh, there's my daddy, and she rushes to hug him. Gloria Chandler Coleman, Master of Arts, University of Missouri, a teacher in Kansas City, was home again. All nine children had the memories of a sharecropper's cabin, nothing to wear and nothing to eat. All nine are now college graduates. Cooking the meal in the kitchen of the new house the children had bought for their parents four years ago is Bessie Chandler Beasley, Bachelor of Arts, Tuskegee, Central Michigan dietitian at the Veterans Hospital, married to a PhD. Helping out in the kitchen is Princess Chandler Norman, Master of Arts, Indiana University, a school teacher in Gary, Indiana. You'll meet all of them, but I first thought you ought to meet their parents. Alex Chandler remembers the time when he had a horse, a cow, and he tried to buy a mule. But he couldn't make the payments, and he lost the mule, the horse, and the cow. About that time, Cleveland, the first son, decided he wanted to go to college. 
Alex Chandler, well, we didn't have money, so we went to town. He wanted to catch a bus to go on up there, and so we went to town and borrowed two and a half dollars from her knees and bought him a ticket. And when he got there, that was all he had. From that beginning, he became Dr. Cleveland Chandler, chairman of economics department at Howard University. How did they do it? Starting from one of the poorest farms in the poorest part of the poorest state of America. We worked, Princess Chandler and Norman said. You pick cotton, asked Keralt. Oh, yeah. Picked cotton, pulled corn, stripped millet, dug potatoes. They all left. Luther left for the University of Omaha and went to become the public service manager for Kansas City. He helped his brother James come to Uni Omaha University and to, get a, to go on to graduate work at Yale. And in turn, James helped Herman, who came from Morgan, who came from Morgan State and is a technical manager in Dallas, and, and they helped themselves. Fortson, a Baptist minister in Pueblo, Colorado, went on to Morehouse College. Fortson Chandler, uh, I chose Morehouse, and, and it was difficult. I had to pick cotton all summer long just to get my first month's rent and tuition. And so helping themselves and helping one another, they all went away. And now after, now 50 years after life began for the Chandler family in a one-room shack in a cotton field, just as they were sitting down in, in this new house to the ham, the turkey, and the sweet potatoes, and the cornbread, and the collard greens, and two kinds of pies and three kinds of cake. Now Donald arrives, the youngest, who had driven with his family all the way down from Minneapolis, and now all the Chandlers were together. Alex said, Grace, our Father in heaven, we, we come to you at this moment giving thee thanks, for thou hast been so good and so kind. We want to thank thee, O God, for your love and for your son, and thank you for all you've provided all these years. Mr. Chandler begins weeping. Remember all those years of sharecropping, going hungry, working for a white man for 50 cents a day, worrying about his children's future. Remembering all that, Alex Chandler almost couldn't get through the blessing. Finally, in Jesus' name, amen. Neither did the others. All the family members were now wiping away tears. The family started with as near to nothing as any America ever did, and so this Thanksgiving weekend, they might be more thankful than most. They now began to sing, I'll Fly Away. I'll Fly Away is the name of the old country hymn, Mr. Chandler's favorite. His nine children flew away and made their place for themselves in this country, and on this weekend, they came home again. There's probably a few lessons in any of this, but I know in the future when I hear the family is a dying institution, I'll think of them. Or whenever I hear that anything in America is impossible, I'll think of them. Let's bow.
some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. The reality is, this morning, all of us will. All of us will. And the only thing that, we, that God allows us to take with us is the memory of those relationships with family and with friends. That's why it's so important this morning in your family relationships that you still care, you forgive, you speak truth, you continue to love. Because those are the memories we take with us. To not give up. Father, this morning we are grateful as we have considered your word and allowed it to speak to our hearts. Father, this morning I pray for those relationships, those families where relationships are strained and fractured. Pray, Father, that there would be those who would be light and love and warmth in, in that context. Who would share truth when possible. I pray, Father, for courage as we, as we, uh, as we minister to our own, those of our, who are blood families. And, Father, I just pray that you... Give us courage uh, in those times that things are tough. We do what was right. And that is pleasing with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to minister to our families. And that we would help them to arrive home safe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.